This is a CNA podcast. Christopher, in a few words, can you give us your thoughts on the following 2023 investment outlook? Bad for the first nine months. Good thereafter. Bonds. Bonds will be boring. <laughs> Ideal portfolio in 2023. Dividend stocks. Real estate investment trust. Stocks? Stocks. Bad for the first nine months. You'll be good thereafter. All right. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to Money Talks. I'm Sarah Alcaldi. I hope you've had a great break. We're kickstarting 2023 and many of us are probably making New Year resolutions, whether it's personal, family or career goals. On the money front, it's always good to do a stock take and figure out your money goals for the year, your investment strategy and if there are any milestones you're looking to hit. To give us an investment outlook for 2023, I have with me Christopher Ung, a trainer at Dr. Wealth who teaches the Early Retirement Masterclass. Christopher, thanks so much for joining us here on Money Talks. You're welcome. Christopher, you know, I've seen a lot of reports that call 2022 a dreadful year for investors. We saw high inflation. There's the war in Ukraine. We also saw stock markets tumble. And it's not just stocks. Cryptocurrencies as well really took a beating. So how would you describe investing in 2022? 2022 for me has been an absolute disaster and (laughs) and there is really no other way of looking at it. Ever since the Russians invaded Ukraine, dealing with high inflation and the Fed has begun raising interest rates. Mm. And this has affected my area of investing, which is focused on dividends. And you're looking at dividend stocks tumbling a significant amount of value. That's in tandem with what's happening in the bond markets as well. So for lack of a better term, it's a year that I think many of us would like to forget. Yeah. And we're hoping to see a better 2023. It was really terrible. But before we go to how we should invest in the year ahead, you've been through several market downturns yourself. That's right. How would 2022 compare? 2022 is relatively mild. I've experienced a really bad episode in the year 2007 to 2008, the Great Recession. But fortunately, I was able to farm my paycheck into the stock markets while the markets were tumbling. That was a very stressful situation. But the reward was that in 2009, when the markets recovered, I made a tidy sum. In the year 2020, in the beginning of a pandemic, I tried to do the same thing, and this time with a little bit of market leverage and a margin account. The recovery was a V-shaped recovery. So we were able to make a decent amount of money as well. This time round... I don't really expect the V-shaped recovery. I think the situation is going to be significantly different. It will be milder than 2008, but you're not going to get a recovery as quickly as 2020. So you mean the recovery won't be fast? We could have a long or extended period of troubling times. That's right. Now, the reason is because while we are aware of the number of basis points that the Fed is raising interest rates, we are not really aware when the end point is going to be. So if you read a lot of these analyst reports, they expect it to be at Q2 or Q3 of 2023. So that's at least another six to nine months of pain ahead of us. Now, on top of it, we do not know how long these high interest rates is going to be maintained. I don't think the Fed has an answer as well. 
So the way I see it, we have to be prepared to lose three quarters of 2023. And you should be ready for tough times ahead. But the good news is you've got an extended ninth-month period for bargain hunting. That is something which I think a lot of investors should look forward to. Can you explain this bargain hunting that you mentioned? What should investors do if the next six to nine months are going to be terrible for the markets? Okay, there should be a fourth-pronged strategy to actually invest for the next nine months. The first prong would be banks, because banks would experience net interest margins increase when interest rates go up. So these are extremely safe investments to go into as interest rates get raised. So that's the first prong. The second prong would be along the lines of looking at very battered technology stocks. And one area would be, for example, exchange-traded funds with a focus on Chinese or US technology stocks. That's mainly because prices are down in the moment, but you need to have a lot of patience before you can see an upturn. The third strategy is non-discretionary consumer stocks. I like groceries. I like things like natural gas, bread, things that local consumers would actually buy more as the economies get worse. And the fourth strategy, which I would consider the least attractive right now, would be real estate investment trusts. But the beauty of this is that real estate investment trusts, as interest rates were to go up very quickly, like what we're seeing right now, mathematically, I suspect they would start to behave like bonds. So as interest rates were to go up, the loss in the value of these bonds would be minimized. So that might also be an area that investors might like to get into. And we've got very, very attractive bonds denominated in foreign currencies that are high yielding right now. So generally, this sums up the four-pronged strategy that I will adopt for the next nine months. It will still be nine months of hurt, but if you have some extra income, this is a very good place to play. We can actually play the market recovery. And one more thing I would suggest is that do not farm all your funds into the markets at the same time because we don't know when the bottom is going to be. It may be wise to divide your money into nine or ten parts and invest it in the markets one part every month. I see. What you're recommending seems to be to look at investments that people really need in their day-to-day lives. Stick to things that are essential, essentially. That's right. Now, the logic is that as we experience higher inflation in the consumer markets, most consumer families, they would be experiencing higher mortgage loans. So they don't have so much income to spend. Mm. And one of the things you would do when you are trying to cut down on family expenses is that you might reduce the restaurant visits that you have. And that would mean spending more money on groceries, spending more money on bread, spending more money on gas. So that seems to be a very logical reaction to what families do when they're experiencing high inflation. You mentioned REITs. Here in Singapore, we have a lot of REITs, and this is something that investors like buying. But recently, they've been battered too. Right. I mean, the plunge in REITs has been painful for painful. many investors. Why REITs? Is it time to continue buying REITs or just stop and wait it out? I'm of two minds about the situation for real estate investment trusts. On one hand, we're looking at maybe a -a once-in-a-lifetime bargain that could be quite similar to the situation in 2008. And we're talking about some real estate investment trusts going above 9% a year in terms of dividends that you'll be getting. I guess we cannot be overly fearful, but we can't be overly greedy as well. So 
nibbling at the sidelines for the next six to nine months, it's probably the middle ground. I'm a huge fan of REITs and 75% of my personal portfolio is tied down in real estate investment trust. I love it. It's the equivalent of renting out a condominium, but you don't have nasty tenants to deal with. It's something that we should own more of. Yeah. A lot of non-professional investors like myself, when you look at your portfolio, a lot of us are seeing reds, a lot of minus and negative numbers. So it is painful and some people are really nervous about what's going on. And like I said, this hasn't happened in a while. So there are some new investors that are experiencing a market downturn for the first time. What would you advise to them? What should they do? Is it time to wait it out or turn to safer bets, maybe like a fixed deposits? Because that's getting some interest as well. And then there are government bonds here in Singapore that are also getting some attention. Okay, I know how difficult is it to be experiencing a portfolio that is red. There are certain points in my life where this has happened when I was much younger as well. My only advice is in times like this, your only defense is a source of income. Whether it comes from your salary, patents, royalties, or dividends, there is a source of income and you need to be able to spend a significant less than what your income can bring in for you. And that's your best defense. Now, once you get yourself into this safety zone, the next question is, are you going to try to exploit the downturn? Because this is where a lot of interchange of wealth takes place. And the person who is the most resilient would be able to make it in about two to three times significantly wealthier than before. So this is an opportunity that should not be missed, actually. And it's all a question of how resilient you are. As for the second question regarding fixed income, I'm not a big fan of bonds. And for the simple reason that if you look at consumer price indices in Singapore, we're looking at an inflation of closer to, I think, 7%. What we're experiencing is that if you were to put your money into these six-month T-bills that are having very attractive use right now, you are locking down a loss of about 2 to 3%. And that's something which I think people need to remember, that inflation is running higher than what most of these government bonds can give to you. And you can make a mistake and miscalculate when there is a rebound in assets that have been beaten down, like real estate investment trusts, technology stocks. And if there is actually a rebound while your money is stuck in the six-month bond or the fixed deposit, you could have done better if you had done something that has a much higher risk. So I actually think that given that interest rate rises we don't project a rise after Q3 of 2023. Government bonds are actually fairly risky for the retail investor. But of course, it's very difficult to convince lay people to think that way. I see the rush for these fixed income instruments to become bigger over the next few months. Yeah, but I'm personally not a big fan. I guess it also depends on when you need that money, right? If you're closer to retirement, then there might be a bigger case for something like that. But for those who are maybe younger and you still have a couple of decades before you hit retirement, then would it be time to find something else? Okay, I think younger people would need to readjust the way they think about capital. One way of doing that is to refer to a Nobel Prize winner, Gary Becker, an economist. And young people should not see their capital as being the amount in their bank account or in their stock portfolios. The large amount of capital that you have is in your human capital, which is the present value of the salary that you have not earned yet. 
So the amount of wealth that you're dealing with, that you're putting into these T-bonds is in fact a very small fraction of what you actually own. So how do you deal with your human capital? You might want to invest in training, attend some courses to get an advanced degree. That's how you actually increase your wealth if you're young. You shouldn't spend too much time fixating on your investment portfolio. And once again, that's very counterintuitive and it's something that I think should be taught to everyone in Singapore. Because whatever skills you have, I guess no market downturn can take away from you, right? That's right. That's right. Hello, everyone. My name is Crispina. And I'm Adrian. And we're the hosts of a podcast called Work It. If you've never heard of it, well, it's a good time to tap in. In the last 20 episodes, we've discussed topics like how to negotiate for a salary increase. Or how to get along with younger colleagues who have different values from you, which incidentally is our top performing episode. If work consumes your life and you want some perspective on issues like management, stress, even office romance, this podcast should be on your list. A new episode drops every Monday. Catch us on the CNA app or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to turn to cryptocurrencies now because that has been a major move. In 2022, we saw Bitcoin plunge by the tens of thousands and we saw Terrace fall, and now we're seeing FTX's dramatic bankruptcy, and you've taught cryptocurrency classes. How do you prepare others for such a situation in the cryptocurrency space? Right. Cryptocurrencies has been an unmitigated disaster in the world 2022. There is no way of sugarcoating what's happening in the crypto space. It's bad. It's an accumulation of the hubris and bad karma that has been happening for the past few years with a lot of people pumping crypto up to ridiculous heights. So now we're paying for what we've done. There are several ways to look at crypto. The most important question a crypto investor needs to ask themselves is, what is going to happen if Binance falls? We've seen Luna fail. We've seen the fall of FTX. So the question is, what happens if Binance fails? Will it be an apocalyptic event? If you ask yourself that question, then it's very easy to derive what you can do moving forward. The first thing you want to do is limit crypto to 1% of your portfolio. Now, a lot of financial advisors talk about limiting crypto to 1% because it's a highly volatile instrument. The gains can be very large. The losses can be very large. So if you put crypto on this thing known as an efficient frontier in finance, there is room to invest in crypto, but you keep it within 1%. That's the first thing you want to do. The second thing you want to do is you want to move your crypto away from centralized exchanges and move them either to a co-wallet or to a decentralized wallet. That's to protect your interests in case anything were to happen to a centralized exchange. And the third strategy is to only invest in the crypto that's been around the longest. And the two cryptocurrencies that come into my mind is obviously Bitcoin and Ether, right? It's like gold and silver. So if you position yourself this way for the future, you should be able to survive the apocalypse. If you talk about the mainstream markets being bad, the situation in crypto is going to be 10 times worse. So that's something that I think people should start thinking about. Do you think the crypto market will be worse in 2023? The crypto market is characterized by a ridiculous amount of volatility. When I back-tested it with computer software, we're talking about 99%. So it is impossible for any person that claims to be a guru to determine whether what's going to happen to crypto in 2023. But be careful. And if you were to just put 1% into crypto, it would be fine. I think for the people who are in the crypto profession, you should be looking at blockchain, the use cases for blockchain. 
and how to use the technology beyond just hawking new coins. To merely come up with coins and float them and encourage speculation, I think this is the lesson that young people need to learn today. And that's turned out fairly disastrous for a lot of people. What does an ideal portfolio look like as we head into 2023? A lot of us are taking stock of where we are. What will determine whether our investments are healthy and we have made the right decisions? Well, for me, I'm a little bit biased. I've always had a dividends portfolio. It has always supported my own personal financial freedom and retirement planning. So I would say that a good portfolio should be generating cash for the investor. This does not necessarily have to come in the form of dividend yields. It can be a share buyback. And to do that, we need to get into the financial statements and look for this property known as free cash flow. I personally like businesses that churn out a lot of cash, but these are not the sexy companies. They have a tendency to be well-established cash cow-like kind of companies. And then these cash flows can then be deployed to a family to basically offset their expenses. And I think that this should be the way we should be looking at our personal investments rather than trying to gun for the 10-bagger or the 5-bagger. I mean, it's good if you can analyze the company full-time, but generally it takes a lot of brain power and a lot of financial analytics and computer coding these days to be able to make an analysis of that level of computational power. I think we need to go back to the basics. So the point I want investors to ask themselves is to tell whatever company they are investing in, show me the money. I think that's the most important thing. Don't give me these projects that have a very long time horizon to realize itself. We want businesses that can put money in our pockets straight away. But there's yeah. a lot of hubris going on and you will see a lot more instances of fraud, I guess, over the next six to nine months. Why is that? Why fraud? That happens when economies start to turn bad. You discover who's swimming naked when the tide goes down. It's very natural that auditors, investors will discover incidences of wrongdoing in the financial market. I project that 2023, you're going to see a lot of that. Mm. And of course, not to mention that the short sellers will be coming out to name and shame some of these companies. Yeah, it should be fun to see what happens in the commercial world. Well, before we let you go, Christopher, what's your final advice for our listeners who are thinking of investing in 2023? Just remember that we are only human. <laughs> and when your portfolio goes red, you're going to get worried. When things increase in price, you're going to get worried. If you get retrenched, definitely you're going to be worried. I think the most important thing is you need to build up some personal resilience. There's been moments in your life when you have achieved something and that forms the cornerstone of your personality. It gives you the confidence to carry on in the following year. So maybe instead of going for your New Year resolutions, right? maybe you start thinking about all the good things that you have achieved in the past and things will look better, I think, in the middle of the year. Yeah. So despite all the trouble that many of us have faced in the stock market, it's time to count your blessings and be grateful. Yeah as we start the new year because we may be up for another tough what six nine months as you mentioned but of course our best defense as you said there is our income our personal skills and that's something the market cannot take away from us thanks so much for sharing your insights today christopher and thank you to our listeners if you've enjoyed Money Talks, do follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you like what you hear, do rate us or better still, leave us a review. If you're looking for investment ideas or financial advice, do check out our previous episodes where we cover issues like the FIRE movement, investing with just $100, and managing debt, 
and investing with your CPF. Now, if you have a topic you're interested to hear about or have feedback, write to us at cnapodcasts at mediacorp.com.sg. The team behind Money Talks is Joanne Chan, Jacqueline Chan, Daniel Lee, Crispina Robert, and I'm Sarah Alcaldi. <laughs>